Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's fall. Students are back on campus. And that means it's time for round two of FizzCast. Welcome in, everybody, to Orange Fizz, FizzCast. Ian Unsworth, John Eads to my right. We are going to get you ready for everything you need to know about Syracuse and their upcoming opponents, whether it's football season or basketball season. We'll have these podcasts probably about 10 to 20 minutes in length, maybe once or twice a week to give you a look at SU's upcoming opponents. Good to be back, Ian. Happy to be doing round two here, especially with football season. Hopefully this year it's a little more fun for us because I feel like every time we hopped on the mics when it came to football season, we were saying this and saying that about Dino Babers and Sterling Gilbert and just breaking down blowout Syracuse losses. So just one win last year, but Syracuse a chance to match that here in the opener. And hopefully we can get off to a good start. I think there's definitely a chance that Syracuse gets at least three, maybe four or five if we're really being optimistic, but... Very interesting stuff to talk about through the first week of, well, the real media access that SU uh, writers, reporters have had because the depth chart came out. Tommy DeVito is the starting quarterback. There are some notable names missing, and we're going to break down this whole thing 1 through 11. We'll also get to Ohio. SU's first opponent at game is on Saturday night at 7 p.m. at Peden Stadium. We'll have coverage right here on orangefizz.net and at the Twitter page at Orange Fizz. So, John, let's start with Syracuse as a whole. 1-10 last year, you already said that. A full 12-game schedule, everybody's back, there's no more COVID opting out. And we look at the depth chart. Tommy DeVito is QB1. What do you think of that? Well... I think you have some pretty strong opinions on this because you think it's more, and our, uh, you know, our owner, Damon Amendolar, said the same thing. He thinks it's more of a stylistic kind of a PR decision. You put DeVito on there as QB1 because he's your guy. He's been your guy from the start. But Coach Babers did say that both quarterbacks are going to play, right? So I feel like DeVito being QB1 for this game really does not matter at all. Yeah, he's going to get the opening drive, and we'll see how that goes. But I fully expect Garrett Schrader, the Mississippi State transfer, to also see time. And as the season goes along, whichever quarterback looks better both in practice and in the games and is moving the offense and looks competent out there, I think that's who's going to be the starting quarterback going forward. So I don't really care who the QB1 is for Game 1 here. I care more about who QB1 is, say, in Game 4 or 5 when SU plays Liberty or Florida State. Tommy DeVito's Dino's guy, and he did say, Dino Babers that is, did say that Syracuse is going to play a two-quarterback system. I don't like that. I think you have to pick one guy and stick with him for the entirety of a ball game because it disrupts your team's flow. Rhythm-wise, offensively, what the play calls are coming in, maybe it's a different set of signals from the sideline for each quarterback. Regardless, there's just too many variables that come into play when you're rotating signal callers. So I want Dino to stick with one guy, and I think it's DeVito if he has a good first couple of weeks. But if things are shaky against the Bobcats, against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights in Week 2, then Schrader really has an opening to take that starting spot. 
I think the saying is, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see who can take that role. The fact that it's come down to week one here and there still isn't a firm quarterback starter, like we haven't heard Coach Baber say, yeah, DeVito's my guy. We're rolling with him all season. He's talked about, oh, yeah, you know, he's improved in the offseason, this and that, as every coach would say every single year. And really, I hope that DeVito would improve over the offseason because he really hasn't he needs shown it. much. He needs right? it. So what I think will help him, though, is the fact that the offensive line is better. So I, if he's going to get put on the sideline this season, I don't think it'll be because of injury. I think he'll finally have a chance to show what he can do. And if he's taken off the field, it will be because he's not playing well. We'll have a lot of returning guys at the skill positions and the offensive line. Sean Tucker's back. Jarvion Howard, after opting out last year, is back. The offensive line looks very similar to last year. Darius Tisdale at right guard. Chris Bleich, a new addition at left guard after sitting out the 2020 season because of some uh, questionable NCAA transfer rules. We talked about that at length. And then one interesting thing at the wide receiver spot, Taj Harris is listed as a slot receiver, at least the way we're reading the depth chart, and Sherrod Johnson gets the start outside. How do we feel about that? Well, pretty interesting because we're not the biggest Sherrod Johnson fans. I saw him drop a couple passes in the opener last year against UNC, and that's forever just stamped in my mind. So he's going to have to work hard to nullify that reputation. But I love Taj Harris in the slot. Chance to become SU's all-time leading receiver. All he needs is one reception, actually, to pass Marvin Harrison in career receptions. But needs a little over 1,000 yards to become the all-time leader in receiving yards. And I think him in the slot is going to be absolutely prolific. That I think he's tailor-made to play there. He's a big hitter. He's a big threat from everywhere on the field. And in the slot, I think that's where the quarterbacks tend to look first. That's where Syracuse needed to find a receiver. I think they have more outside receivers on the team, like a Sherrod Johnson, like a Damian Alford, who's six foot five on the outside. I will add, actually six six. I'm gonna give him the extra inch because the depth chart has him at six six. Uh, point is, I love Taj Harris in the slot. I think it's gonna be a great decision uh, for Syracuse, and it's gonna pay dividends going forward. I think a name to watch out for is Aronde Gadsden. I really think he could be the guy that takes over for Sherrod Johnson after a couple of weeks on the outside because you and I are in the same boat. I don't trust Sherrod Johnson. I think he's got butterfingers, and I want to see some young talent, whether it's Aronde Gadsden or maybe Amari Hatcher emerging in a couple of weeks to step up and take that spot, really be a solid number two or number three, depending on Anthony Quilly's season outlook. On the defensive side, interesting things happening as well. Marlo Wax, one of our champions from last year, is now a starting linebacker. Deuce Chestnut is CB2 opposite Garrett Williams. Ben LeBras starts at free safety. And one more thing that I noticed that really hasn't been talking about, Steve Linton's not on the two deep. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Uh, the one thing I will say about that is he switched from defensive end to outside linebacker, and Syracuse is really deep at linebacker. I think you'll see him as a situational pass rusher, but a lot to unpackage there. No surprises along the D-line, really. SU had its front three and, and really top six back from last year. At linebacker, SU really deep. The one surprise you'll say is Marlo Wax, but he's a guy that played in every game last year, started the last one against Notre Dame. He takes over for Jeff Canton Arku, started 10 games last year. They're both going to play. It just speaks to how deep SU will be in the second level this year. And I think all around, Marlo Wax is a better linebacker. He can help against the run a little bit better than Canton Arku can. Canton Arku is really good at rushing the passer and getting to the quarterback, as is Marlo Wax. But I think all around, Wax is the better guy. Of course, they're both going to play. And then Deuce Chestnut getting the start at corner. That's We love that. <laughs> Absolutely. I think one thing about this Wax-Canton Arku dynamic I want to see a bit more 3-4. Both of these guys on the field at the same time to plug run gaps. Wouldn't that make more sense in early downs? Because 
The defensive backfield, yes, there's plenty of talent, but these are still some inexperienced guys. And against heavy run teams like a North Carolina State or a Wake Forest, I'd like to see an extra body in the box early on. And I'm okay with taking LeBros or maybe Rob Hanna off the field to provide a bit of extra run support. Yeah, I kind of do like LeBron on the field if you want to stop the run. But the thing with that is, I don't think Thompson, Wax, Canton Arcu are as strong in coverage as you'll have uh, mm-hmm. if you have a nickel back in there. But SU did really struggle with stopping the run last year. So if that's something you really want to make a point of, then that's certainly an option you can explore if you're Tony White. Um, so we'll see. But I think in the 3-3-5, they recruit defensive backs specifically uh, so they can defend the run, come up and help in run support. Deuce Chestnut's been labeled as one of the most physical corners on the team. Garrett Williams loves to get his nose dirty and make tackles. So really, I think you could still stick with that 3-3-5. It's just it's really important that the linebackers fill the gaps and help in run support. And then if you want to bring an extra linebacker on the field, sure. I mean, we're not, we're not the defensive coordinators over here, but it's certainly something that sounds plausible in theory, right? I'd like it, and I'd just like Syracuse to stop the run. Let's talk about the schedule. Just a quick second. What games, we will get into every single game in depth every single week. Do not worry about that. But from an overall macro perspective, before the season starts, John, which game are you looking forward to talking about the most? Gosh, there's really a lot of options on here. But the one I've had circled for a long time is Rutgers. Because you and I are Big Ten guys. We grew up Big Ten guys. This Rutgers squad is a Northeast foe, really starting to establish itself once again. And Greg Schiano's second stint, really good team, competed at a high level in the Big Ten last year. But it's a winnable game for Syracuse. It's the first game that fans will be back in the Dome in over a year. It'll be 9-11. It's going to be a big freaking day for Syracuse and its fans. Uh, It's going to be a back-and-forth game. It's really a toss-up. Could go either way. If SU beats Ohio and then comes back out and beats Rutgers, a team that's expected to be good again in the Big Ten this year, Woo, you got some early momentum here. You could carry that forward into UAlbany and then into uh, Liberty. Liberty is a game that I'm very interested for because it's a prime time 8 p.m. kickoff and Syracuse better have this game circled on its calendar. There should be no talk of anything besides revenge the week of September 24th because Dino Babers and company, I would say that was the low point for the program last year, going out and losing to an independent team. Uh, I mean, maybe Duke. We can we can balance those yeah. two out. But yeah. Liberty absolutely ran roughshod over Syracuse last season. And back in the Loud House this year with fans this time, people are going to be foaming at the mouth to take down the Flames. I'm pretty confident, I think you are too, that this will be a ranked Liberty team when they come to the Dome this year. Caught Syracuse, caught really everybody by surprise last year with Malik Willis. They came out of nowhere. That SU win really propelled them to the national stage. And then from there, they just took over all the way to, I think they lost to Coastal Carolina in the season finale. But a great season from Hugh Freeze and company. That'll be a ranked game and one that, what if Syracuse is 3-0 going into that one? Then they win that 4-0 in the non-conference, and you have a ranked opponent, a uh, ranked win on your on your resume heading into ACC play, I mean, in a perfect world, that's probably the scenario, and I'm really excited to see if SU can get the job done in that one. It'll be tough, though. It's a good team. If Syracuse has that kind of momentum rolling, we might have to talk bowl stuff, but let's not get ahead of ourselves because Ohio's nothing to scoff at. Syracuse's first opponent was 2-1 and one in the MAC last season. They only played three games because of COVID complications, excuse me, a loss to Central Michigan, and then beat Akron and Bowling Green. Whoop-de-doo. There's not much to take away from that, unfortunately. And also, they've got a new head coach. 
Frank Solich retires after a ridiculous amount of time at the helm, 22 seasons under his belt with the Bobcats, and now offensive coordinator Tim Albin takes over. Albin's been there for a minute in Athens, so there shouldn't be much changing schematically. No, not at all. Albin is Frank Solich's right-hand man, basically. He's been the offensive coordinator at Ohio uh, since 2005, so that's 16 seasons, and was previously a grad assistant and was on the sidelines at Nebraska with Solich as well before coming to Ohio. So he's a guy that's been around him for a long time. He understands the culture. He understands how to win at Ohio. They've had great offenses through the years. So I don't expect much layoff, if you will, in terms of coaching the player relationship and how the team performs. It'll still be a hard-nosed, gritty team, ready to play. It's not like this is a new coach, new program he's coming in. First first head coaching gig ever. He did coach in the NAIA back in the 80s and 90s, but you know he's been an assistant coach. So perhaps there's a little bit... Uh, you know, a little bit of uncertainty coming into this game, but he's going to have the offense prepared because he's been coaching the same guys since 2005. So don't expect too much of a layoff there. And when we talk about offense with the Bobcats, it's all about the run game. Last year, 18th ranked nationally with 216.7 rushing yards per game. And they're led by a guy, Demontre Tuggle, who spent two years at Community College before transferring to Ohio last year, a second-teamer in both the running back spot and the kick return spot, an extremely dynamic player who provides plenty of explosiveness. Yeah, uh, pundits expect Tuggle to have a great season again this year. Second-team preseason Mac and third-team uh, as a specialist returner as well, according to Pro Football Focus. So, uh, a small sample size last year, only three games, like you said, 134 yards per game, about eight per carry. But again, it came against teams like Central Michigan, Akron, and Bowling Green. He did have a nice season back in 2019 as well. But I want to see what he can do against the Power 5 team. He certainly has the measurables to do that. He's shown he can be explosive in the past as an okay offensive line to run behind. But I need to see it uh, from my own eyes, I think, Ian. The offensive line is certainly experience. Two junior, two seniors, excuse me, a junior, and then a transfer, T.J. Jackson from Virginia Tech. There's a lot of big beef eaters there, and Dino Babers complimented the run game, saying both Tuggle and the offensive line work extremely well in tandem. If Syracuse can stop the run game, though, I think the Orange have a really good chance of shutting down Ohio early and often because Curtis Rourke, their quarterback, back for his sophomore season, 68.2% completion percentage. He was the only quarterback in the FBS not to throw an interception, but that's just three games. Right, it's it's right. the small sample size again. We kind of glossed over the quarterback position a little bit. It's certainly a big question that Ohio needs to answer. You mentioned Curtis Rourke. He's younger brother of a, a prolific Ohio quarterback, Nathan Rourke, who was there for five seasons. He started the three games last year. Really small sample size, like you said. You also got Armani Rogers, who's a UNLV transfer, started 18 games there. But had a big year back in 2017, and his production dipped and then saw some time last season. He's a dual-threat guy, but he's a, he's a pretty short quarterback as well. And Coach Albin said he's expecting both guys to see time, just like Syracuse is having both guys potentially see time in this game. But they'll have some pretty good wide receivers to throw to as well. Isaiah Cox was third team. Preseason All-Mac, according to Pro Football Focus. Seven catches last year, 142 yards. That's 20.3 per catch. So a lot of playmakers are on the field to complement a good run game. But again, really just take everything we say with a grain of salt because a lot of these numbers are coming in three games of action against teams that are perennial, perennially bottom feeders in the MAC and in the country. So, And the same thing can be said for Ohio's defense. They allowed just 16 points per game last year, which led the MAC three games. That was also seventh nationally. 34% third down conversion percentage. 
in three games. And while Ohio's going to have a lot of consistency on defense with multiple returning starters at every single level, can they compete with the Power 5 teams? John, what do you think? Is the talent enough? That's the thing. It's Syracuse. It's a Power 5 team from the ACC. They should have the advantage in the trenches, really on both sides. I think they do. Ohio's defensive line is really young, really ex uh, inexperienced. Uh, little production, too, with a small sample size. They got one guy. His name is Kylan McCracken. Honorable mention, preseason All-Mac, according to Pro Football Focus. He's 6'3", 300 pounds. They got a lot of grass eaters, a lot of beef eaters, like he said. A lot of size and experience on the, on both lines. But I don't think it'll be able to match up with Syracuse. And the same can be said about the linebacker position. They got a they got a guy named Cannon Blouser, which is pretty cool. I didn't that, that is a cool name. But aside from that, really young, really inexperienced. It's a defense that I think is led by its secondary. So in the secondary, we've got senior, junior, senior, senior, and then also a junior who started last year on the second team depth chart. I, I like what they're bringing, but I don't think they have that turnover potential, that cover potential. The one guy that's highlighted in the Athlon preview magazine is Jet Elad, who last year had two interceptions, two pass breakups. So no Andre Siscos, no ball hawks, nothing extremely special. The other thing I want to point out, which I think is huge for Syracuse getting off on the right foot, Ohio as a team last year only had four sacks hmm. in three yeah. games, two of those against those bottom feeders, like you've said. That's not good, and that's great for Syracuse because no matter how patchwork the offensive line is going to be, Tommy DeVito or Garrett Schrader, who's ever in the backfield, should have plenty of time to throw. Also, 4.8 rushing yards per attempt last year. Sean Tucker should be able to break through the line and find space in the secondary. Yeah, I think the SU run game is going to perform admirably. Um, like we said, good secondary over there, so maybe they'll match up well with SU on, in that terms of things. But I think if SU gets the run game going, that's really not going to matter at all, and I expect them to do so because SU has the advantage in the trenches and Ohio's linebackers, like I said, really young, really inexperienced. I don't think they're ready for this kind of test. And Syracuse showed it could run the ball on anybody last year, even Notre Dame. The last thing we saw in the 2020 season was both Sean Tucker and Cooper Lutz going over the century mark against one of the best defenses in college football, a defense that took Notre Dame to the college football playoffs. So I expect Syracuse to run the ball all over Ohio. That'll set up the pass game and nullify what is a pretty good Ohio secondary. But that's the thing with defenses. You don't want your secondary to be the headliner. You want it to be your defensive line and your linebackers, your front seven. Well, the front seven certainly what makes the magic happen on third down especially. And if either quarterback has some time on third down, I'd like to see Schrader do a bit with his legs. That's something we haven't seen much of in the past couple of years and new dynamic to the SU offense. But if that happens, if Syracuse has time on third down to set up some plays and hopefully Sterling Gilbert's bag is a bit deeper this year, <laughs> then maybe the orange offense should look pretty seamless as it did two years ago opening on the road against Liberty where the orange blanked the flames. John, let's take it now to wrapping it all up with our lines and our score predictions. So I know you have those lines written down and they've changed a little bit as the week's gone on. They did. So a couple weeks ago, I remember Ohio came out as the favorite and Syracuse the underdog. And as soon as I saw that, I told you and pretty much everybody whose ears I could get into that this line is going to flip. Syracuse will be the favorite by the time kickoff comes, and sure enough, here we are. So opening this morning, Ohio is a one-point underdog. I don't really understand why the line is like it's It's essentially a money line pick. I think it's free money for Syracuse. I really do, but we'll get into that in a sec. Uh, the over-under set at 56 here, so pretty high. Pretty high. Both teams getting into the 20s, maybe one in the 30s, one in the 20s. And the FBI actually favors Ohio 51%, but 
if you guys were here last year, Ian and I put no we stock. We do not in the like the FPI. We don't put any stock in the FPI, so that one does not matter at all. So do, do we want to go ahead with score predictions now? Uh, let's see. Or you got some you got some words to say. I I I'm going to take Syracuse to cover. Okay. Um and I'm taking the under. I'm taking the under. I don't think both teams are going to have the juice if Syracuse stops the run game then Ohio's going to take slow, slow, slow marches down the field, eat up a lot of clock. And Syracuse on the other side, unfortunately, if the offense doesn't perform like we expected to, it's going to be a lot of quick three and outs or a lot of Sean Tucker, Cooper Lutz, Jarvion Howard, a lot of clock eating. I don't know if either team really is going to have the explosive play figured out in week one. So I think Syracuse takes this game Let's go by a score of 24 to 17, but I don't think either team has enough juice in the offense just yet to really hit home runs. Interesting point. I am I'm taking the over, but by one point. I'm with you. I think both teams kind of get off to slow starts, but both teams also have guys that can change the game in the matter of one play. Sean Tucker gets some nice blocks, house call. Tosh Harris makes a catch, breaks a couple tackles, house call. Both teams have that ability to be uh, home run hitters. And get some big plays. So I have I have the over-under hitting at 57, the combined score. And the final score, Syracuse 34, Ohio 23. I think it's close for a little while. SU forces a few turnovers and pulls away. Sean Tucker has a big game. Tosh Harris has a big game. I don't know what's going to happen at the quarterback position because I don't think either quarterback has to be very good to beat this Ohio team. On the other side, the Bobcats. Tuggle will get his. He'll get a couple of yards just like every team does against Syracuse's 3-3-5. But when, it, when push comes to shove, it's the turnovers, the inexperience on both defense and the quarterback position. For the Bobcats, I think that gives SU the 34-23 win. So we'll see. I mean, we got to keep a running tally of this now because last year we kind of got into the betting lines, but we both have Syracuse winning. I have the under John has the over, and we will keep a running, I guess, a running record, and we can stack ourselves up at the end of the football season. And so 34-23 John's prediction, 24-17 mine. Either way, we both have the orange coming on top in week one against Ohio. That game will be at 7 p.m. at Peden Stadium. Keep it locked at orangefizz.net and on the Twitter page at orangefizz for all the coverage and the latest news, recruiting updates, and anything else you need to know about Syracuse football and basketball. That's our first FizzCast of the year. We'll have plenty more as we get deeper into football season. For John Eads, I'm Ian Unsworth. Thank you so much for listening, and go Orange.